Hi, this is Jennifer Zeman, the host of The Food That Binds. Today I'm joined by Sarah O'Brien, the owner of Little Tart Bakery and Big Softy in Atlanta, Georgia. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Hi, Jennifer. Nice to see you. Could you please introduce yourself to listeners who may not know who you are? Sure. Um, my name is Sarah O'Brien. I am the uh, owner of and founder of Little Tart Bake Shop and Big Softy. We have three locations in Atlanta for the bakery. Um, we also sell at farmer's markets around town and um, Big Softy has a location in Summerhill. And with your bakeries, it's been going on now 10 years? Yep. Is that about 10 yep. years? Okay. Um, and if you were going to look back at your life and kind of figure out that moment that you knew food was going to be something for you beyond just a hobby and a pleasure, when would that be? Um, you know, I always point to my, to my grandmother teaching me how to make apple pie when I turned 10. I definitely think I knew then truly that, that I just loved it so much. And from that moment on, I became the, the baker in my family who just baked for, you know, everything all the time. Um, but I think that when I really thought about making it a career, I was actually in graduate school at the University of Iowa, getting an MFA <laughs> in poetry, like you do. And um, I got a job working at this really lovely cafe called Leaf Kitchen. Um, and it was run by, and I think it's still run by two incredible women who were not that much older than me. And it was just so handmade, like neither of them had formal training. Um, Masai was just is an incredible cook and just made these things that she wanted to eat. Um, and I just, I learned so much from them, but I went in there and applied. I just needed a job and I went in and I took a galette and said, and they thought that was very charming. <laughs> and I brought a, a galette and they were like, sure, cool. We'll hire you, you know? So, um, but it was my favorite place to eat in Iowa city. And I could just tell that the, the quality was so, so good. Um, so they hired me and I, it was this tiny kitchen where everyone did everything. And I did a lot of the cooking and desserts and also running the register, washing dishes. Um, and I think that was probably the first time where I was like, oh, I could really, exist in this space and be very happy um, because it was just never boring and always busy with, you know, something to do all the time. And I just liked having my hands in it and making something. And I think it was an interesting contrast to what I was doing in school. Um, and I, the other path I was looking at was, was teaching. Uh, and I, which I, also I'm sure would love to do, but I think I realized I wanted to make something. I wanted to like make something and give it to someone and then get to make it again and keep trying to make it better and better. Something that, and we're going to jump around, it's just something I've always noticed um, silently watching you, <laughs> your career is that you like tend to really do a deep dive into an item when you're developing it. Um, you know, you really study things very carefully, which I don't think everyone always does. Like I remember when you were trying to make a perfect croissant and then when you were researching for Big Softy, um, mm -hmm. it seems to me like that you love to nerd out 
if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Is that is the knowledge of baking something that also draws you to it? Oh, absolutely. I think that um, I think for me, I just am interested in the classics so much that for me, like with Big Softy, it's a great example. I would be very happy to serve like three flavors forever because the the fact that we made this vanilla that is made with local dairy and organic cane sugar and is like just the best soft serve I've ever had. Like I could just make that. I mean, they, my staff teases me because I go into Big Softy and eat the same thing every time I go in. I'm like, okay, let me taste the new thing. And then, I, and I'm like, okay, that tastes great, or it needs more lemon, or whatever. And then I'm like, okay, let me let me get these. <laughs> and it's vanilla soft serve and peanut crunch, which is inspired by um, crunch coat that you get at Dairy Queen in at least in the Midwest that I grew up eating because, like, my my aunt and uncle, the franchise, Dairy Queen franchise up the street, like two miles. So if we were really good Friday after school we'd pull in the parking lot and get, you know, a Dairy Queen. I'd get a vanilla with this um, crunch coat. (laughs) So when we were developing Big Softy, I was like, all I want is this crunch coat. So I got, I ordered some online, talk about nerding out, figured out how to make a version that was, I was happy with, you know, that where we were actually like, you know, making our own peanut praline and like um, caramelizing them and then grinding them up with, sprinkles from Susie at beautiful brownie C, you know, and I'm like, this is, I made this thing that to me is so nostalgic and perfect. And I like, don't need anything else. So it's almost like, it's very, uh, it's very selfish. Truly. I'm like, I just, <laughs> I just want to eat a perfect croissant. Like I, I lived in Paris for two years. I ate a croissant every day from the same bakery. I love having a place that you can rely on that, you know, is going to be good um that's like your place and so i had this place blaise sucre in in paris that still i think has like the best croissant ever and i just wanted that in atlanta and it didn't exist you know there were some good croissants but there were not like the place that i wanted to go to didn't exist so when i was setting out to create it i think because i have these touchstones in my head that are to me so perfect. It's like, it's less about nerding out and more about like needing to get to there and not being satisfied and not wanting to serve my customers anything that I'm not happy with, which is just, I mean, out of respect for them, because I know that it's a luxury to come and spend $4 and 25 cents on a croissant. I know that. So I want it to be perfect. And I mean, I do the same thing. Like I had a croissant you know, I have a croissant every morning, <laughs> precisely at like 930 in the morning. I'm like, ooh, it's time for my croissant, you know, but. Um, so so yeah, it was it's utilitarian. Just- I mean, it was yeah. something you needed in your life for joy. And then you've been able to also kind of parlay it into this thing that gives so many other people joy as well. And I think that baking is like, I, w- I, I have always loved the fact that it's like very hard to bake for yourself. Like you, you need to share it. There's just, you make too much. You can't eat all the stuff that you make. So it also, I think that the other piece about like leaf kitchen and the, and the bakeries that I loved in Paris is that bakeries and like little cafes become their own epicenter in a community. And that was 
the other piece that like what little tart has evolved into and what means so much to me is like the is the community that exists around it in my employees in my customers in the kids of my customers who I've known since they were babies who are now in you know in middle school which is wild to me so it's not like it is a little selfish but then it's also like well I'm gonna I want to make this perfect thing and then I want to share it in a place I want to be that place that people know they can go to every day and they're gonna get the same delicious croissant and a wonderful cup of coffee or the, you know, chocolate vanilla twist they want, and they know they're going to be treated really well and we're going to be happy to see them. So that's like the the beauty of having a place like Little Tart in Grand Park that's been open for 10 years is like that. It really, it's become that here, I think, you know, um, for the, for this little corner of Atlanta. And that's like, that's the best part, truly. Yeah. I mean, it didn't, it definitely filled a hole for me when you opened because mm-hmm. I felt like I was, I moved back from San Francisco and we had so many beautiful little corner shop bakeries there, which you could get a canal, you know, you could get those like really interesting bespoke pastries. And when you came around and, and, um, and, and made your mark, I mean, it was just like, I mean, you just make really interesting things though. I mean, it's not just, I think that's something that I also really respect about you is that it's not always just so cookie cutter. Um, Mm -hmm. even when you make those beautiful, are they petite basque with the jam? Oh, the ghetto basque. The ghetto basque. Yeah. You know, we haven't made those in a while, which is because they're such a, a true pain in the butt to make. And I can imagine because it's like a work of art, just like your Bostock. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I have like I always tease my my bakers about these specific things that are like my favorite, like the ghetto basque the cannelet, the I'm trying to think, um, like a, a palmier, which we make more often. But I'll tease them, like, when can we bring that back? And they're like, absolutely not. You know, because it's just, <laughs> really don't do anything that is easy. Like, I'm always like, I'm so sorry, y'all, that I have, I seem to always want to make these things that are hard, you know, but, um, but thank you. I mean, I like to think that our menu is interesting to folks because it, you know, there's a lot more savory pastry on our menu that you, mm-hmm. you see a lot mm-hmm. of places. So and a I, lot more seasonality, I have uh, to say. You really make a point. Like, that's why I think I like that Basque so much because I'm like, ooh, what's the jam today? You know, like, w- what did she get her hands on from a farmer? You know, what has it been spun into? Was that always a priority for you? Absolutely. I mean, I I remember reading, in, again, in college, like, as I got really interested in, in baking and cooking, in grad school specifically, reading, like, The Omnivore's Dilemma and anything I could learn about Alice Waters and, you know, and, and being in Iowa and going like, okay, what else grows here besides corn? Cause I know something does. And being in a, in a really cool little city that had a great farmer's market. And like, I, so I think that, I mean, I always say that one of the reasons I moved to Atlanta was because the growing season was, is so long. I mean, we can get strawberries in January from Florida that's incredible. I mean, I grew up in Ohio. It's like, you're not getting anything until (laughs) May or something. So, um, so yeah, from the beginning, because I started also at farmer's markets, it was very natural for me to like walk to the next tent and say, Hey, I need honey for this granola. Can I buy a, you know, a bottle from you? So those relationships developed really naturally and, um, have been, I mean, I think 
that's the thing is that we don't, you don't have to do much to food if you start with good ingredients, you know? So it just, it, it's a, makes total sense. It makes our job easier to get the best strawberries we can get and do very little to them and then put them on a yogurt bowl. And we were just talking about yogurt because we used to get Atlanta fresh yogurt, which is like, was the best yogurt. I love that company's mm-hmm. So we would make, you know, Atlanta fresh yogurt, like a lightly, you know, local strawberries with like a tiny bit of lemon sugar, our granola with local honey. And like, there's no, I mean, that's all you need for breakfast. So it's so great. And we didn't even have to do that much to it except make the granola, which is like a whole thing. But, you know, <laughs> like I said, uh, doing the hard things, but. Um, and, and something that you touched on earlier and that I've definitely wanted to talk to you about is the community, um, not only that surrounds you with your customers, but the one that you've built with your employees. Um, it, it does feel very familial as a customer. Um, I love that, you know, like whether it's by design or not, that it seems to be such a female positive, female centric business, Mm -hmm. um, or just a place where anyone would feel welcome. Um, but just watching, you as a mother um, mm-hmm. and as a small business owner, create a place where like people can get benefits, right? Do you offer benefits? Like, oh, yeah, we do. yeah. I mean, which is for a bakery, <laughs> you know, is nuts. Yeah. Um, why has that always been a priority for you? Well, so we have our first baker out maternity leave right now that was, is not me because I've been out. <laughs> so. <laughs> thing that is like makes me so happy every time I see that little parental leave line on on our uh payroll register but it I think that it um you know I was really raised by my parents in this kind of like treat other people the way you want to be treated mentality and I saw them demonstrate that that and my my father has owned his own business now for like I don't know 50 years I think actually wow almost 80. So yeah, more than 50 years, he's been a contractor and has some of the same folks working for him who have been there for like 40 years, which is incredible. So he's also 80 and will never retire, but that's a whole different story, but almost 80, 80 this summer. But, um, so for me, I think when I started to have this idea of opening my own business, I knew how I would want to be treated as an employee. I knew I would want to have a family eventually. I knew I would want to be able to have maternity leave. And and I knew I would want to be able to like figure my schedule out around um, having these children, which I have two now. Um, I didn't really understand what that meant. That's for sure. 10 years ago now, (laughs) much, uh, you know, more intimate understanding of how hard that truly is. But so, you know, probably about eight years ago, we started offering benefits and it just has always felt like the right thing to do to, you know, especially in this country where it's like a one medical emergency can set people back, you know, $10,000. So, um, so we started offering benefits and I think I had like five people on the policy because like I was younger, my staff was pretty young, people were on their parents' insurance. And then as the company has kind of grown up with me and with my, a lot of my employees, like I have two folks with me um, who've worked at Little Tart for seven years, which to me is wow. incredible. Um, we, as I started like watching my, you know, my staff would get older and they turn 26 and go, oh, 
um, I need insurance. <laughs> Tell me about it. And then I'd sit them down. Okay. Yeah. So here's how it works. And they'd be like, Oh, cool. You know? So now what we're doing is, and this has been in the news recently, but since July, we've been charging 4% extra on our, um, on our checks to like on the employee or on the customer's bills, which directly goes to insurance and sick leave. So we basically took, you know, a program and an offering that was, I was already really proud of, and we made it better. Like we, we cover more of our employees insurance. They have sick leave and paid time off and maternity. So it really, it, in this, like, I don't know, the, the most important thing to me in this company, the reason it is so good is because I have retained incredible people. Like it is not me back there. I cannot make all this pastry by myself. Like I just, it's, we've gotten so much bigger. And one of the best compliments that people give me is how consistent our pastry is. That they can get a croissant at Peachtree Road or at Summerhill on Tuesday and be like, this tastes the same. It's the same. It's great. It's not better at one place. It's not better one day, you know. And that is the skill of my team and the, just the longevity of this group of people. Um, So for them to stay and like, I've known so many of them from the age of 24 to now they're like 30 and trying to buy their first house or get married or talking about having kids. Like the only way to, to keep them at Little's Heart is to professionalize it and make it a place they can stay and thrive. And that's been really, really difficult, but we've, we're doing the best we can, but it's, it's been hard with, you know, how much more expensive everything's getting. Like I, it's the thing that keeps me up is that we have been raising wages like over the past two years, faster than we ever have before, but it's still hard to keep up. Especially with, I was looking at some interview you had done, um, with this Atlanta coffee houses publication or something. And you were, it was like, you were detailing all of the challenges (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that little tart had gone through um, and how you were like on the phone with your dad, like weeks before COVID weeks before having to furlough everyone and having a big repair. Um, it's, it's amazing to me, like where you still stand. Can you talk? I mean, I feel like people are like, Oh, COVID's over. Let's not talk about anymore. But I feel for people such as yourself and businesses such as yourself, that it's not over by a long shot. Cause you're going to be feeling it for a while. No, absolutely not. Um, bye Paul. Um, it's so it's, we are still feeling the ramifications in a way that I, I wonder with supply chains, with price increases, I don't know when we're going to stop feeling them. I mean, our, my butter costs like $170 a case right now. And it used to be a hundred dollars a case. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and I imagine you need a lot of butter. Use so much butter. Like I had to do that. I do the math whenever something like that happens. And then I have to just kind of put the math away and go like, oh, we're going to figure it out. You know, and we find different ways to like, let's buy a giant block of butter that we have to cut up. That's cheaper than this butter. It's the same brand, but it's a you know different format. But then we have to spend the time cutting it out. It's just like you like owning a small business is just constant problem solving. Absolutely. All I do every day, I swear to God, especially with four locations. It's like what thing has broken today. I do not know last day that something didn't break. And I wasn't like, 
hold on, let me research how to, you know, get a compressor for this cooler or whatever. So I think that in terms of the pandemic itself, all of the shifts that we're seeing in how expensive everything is, how hard it is to get certain things. Um, and also shifts that I don't necessarily think are ba a bad thing. I have a lot of employees now who just want to work four days and that is what they want to work. And that is full time to them. And I'm like, that's fine. We actually just changed our insurance to say that um, you can get coverage if you are if you work three shifts. So you can have you can have coverage if you work um, 18 hours. You know, it used to be you have to be full time. You have to work 30 hours. And now it's like, yeah, you work, you know, you work 15 hours as long as you're here three days a week, you can get covered. So like, we're just trying to adapt, but we are, have had to adapt with COVID on a daily, sometimes hourly basis. I do not know when that kind of fight or flight response will finally leave my body, but it is like, I have been living in this state of like, what do we do now for like two full years? And your business already had an outdoor component that was thriving. I mean, if anyone goes to, you know, Petriot Farmer's Market, you know, Sarah's <laughs> stand is the one with the very long line that wraps around. That didn't stop. Um, but yeah. I have to imagine, like, how are the stores doing? Like, how are Big Softy and Summer Hill? And I know. We're okay. And so the farmer's markets, I just want to say, are one of the reasons we got through the pandemic. And I have said from day one, I would never stop doing them. And people go like, why are you still doing the market? Like it's rainy or cold or, but I'm like, these are, these markets are why I exist. And I understand that I couldn't have started without them. And I could, and now I really can tell you that we wouldn't have made it the way we did without them because people could still come to Peachtree, they could come to Grant Park. And that was like, you know, paying our utility bill, you know, so between the markets and the, you know, the PPP loans, honestly, are the two things that really got us through the pandemic. But I, I told someone else recently that 2020 was our worst year ever. Um, and, and then 2021 was our best. So it's, you know, what happened toward the end, kind of late, you know, middle of 2021, we reopened our indoor seating. And I don't know if you remember, but so, you know, I, I used to share the Jane, the, my, my flagship, the mothership. Oh, yeah, I remember. It's Octane, right? The, mm -hmm. my, and then we shared it with, um, with a different coffee shop, which did not go as well. And then we were able to take the whole lease over in January of 2020. And we renovated the space. I spent every dollar that I had, which is what I was on my the phone with my dad, you mentioned right before the pandemic, like two weeks before. And I said, okay, our water heater just died. It's 10 grand to replace it. I can't operate without a water heater. I was like, I have 10 grand. <laughs> That's all I have. And then I literally said to him, as long as this virus <laughs> doesn't affect it. I mean, I can't even, as the words came out of my mouth, I think I knew like, this is going to be bad. I can't believe I just said that. So we, we just emptied our bank account in March of 2020 to pay for this renovation. So we had this beautiful cafe that finally felt like it was ours after like eight years of having roommates. And, you know, then I couldn't let anybody into it for a year and a half. I would sit down there with my laptop and like people would look through the glass, <laughs> like wave, and, like, you know, tear, like have these beautiful, 
And I'm like, using it as my office. So I'm like, this is like a 2,000 square foot office. This really seems unnecessary. So it was really like triumphant in July when we opened the doors. And, you know, it was like, it was, it was still, still COVID. So, you know, we all were masked and up until like last week. But, um, but it was just nice to see people come in. And then that's when we really saw, uh, we got, to a really great place like sales wise because we we're finally running the cafe ourselves and like you know um so there ever the business is going really strong but it's a weird place to be because it just feels so tenuous like that's i think after i i feel like the all the small business owners especially restaurants bakeries i know i feel like we all need to like form a post-covid support group because it's really hard to turn off this mode of like, we are in an emergency and everything is catastrophic. And how, and I'm, I just told my staff that I'm like trying, I'm trying to get myself and all of us to go like, okay, everything's okay. But it doesn't feel like everything's okay. Cause the world is just, I mean, everything is not okay. So, um, so yeah, but we're, but we're good. And I try to remind myself that like, we made it, we're here and we're going to just try to, you know, continue to be smart and careful and continue to be here as long as possible, you know? And it's got to be def- difficult because your partner, your husband, Paul, is, Paul Calvert is also a, 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 a founding partner, you would call it, in Ticonderoga Club in Krog. So you are both in the industry going through this at the time. I mean, we you don't have to share, but like, how was your mental health during this whole process? I mean, I have to imagine, like, I mean, you've got two small kids, this community, you know, the, this family of employees that you take care of um, through the company. I mean, how do you deal with all that pressure? I know just from what I've heard of you in the industry that you are a very resilient woman. Um, but I mean, how do you manage that? Because that's a lot. I mean, I think the first like six months of the pandemic are truly are a blur. It's hard for me to really suss out because we lost our income and our childcare in like a day. Like it just all happened so fast. And, you know, you can't do our jobs from home. So on a family level, we just had to figure it out. It was like, building the plane as you're flying every single day. You know, it was like, I lugged Stevie who was, I mean, Stevie was born in September. So she was like six months old when the pandemic hit. Oh my God. I mean, at one point I had a pack and play up there and I borrowed this like tent thing from my friends that would like, you know, make a like little blackout space so she could nap at the bakery. I mean, it was never going to work. I like zipped my baby into this thing and she's <laughs> screaming and I'm like, this is awesome. It's like a sensory deprivation <laughs> tent. <laughs> In here, you know, but um, I mean, I was up there with her just strapped to me, like trying to figure out what to do. So, I mean, it was, it was awful. Paul and I spent a lot of time on the porch, like staring off into the distance. <laughs> Like, we just list, uh, live next to I-20, like listening to the highway. <laughs> the white noise. <laughs> there, no one was out. And I mean, it was, it was eerie. I mean, I was driving pastry around Atlanta. I would say, especially maybe like the first month or two, um, we, you know, where we, everybody was just trying to figure out what to do. And I was like, we'll deliver pastry. I had some stupid 
$20 minimum. And I'm like driving boxes of pastry around the city with, and no one is out. And I'm like leaving them on people's porch, wearing gloves. You know, it was like, boom, we didn't know if you could get COVID from like your cardboard box on your porch. So that was really, really hard. And I think that but, but you know what? I am also, I am so grateful. We come back to my team of like phenomenal women. I knew who to call and there were like six people when I, I mean, I think we closed for like three days. I was like, okay, we're closing. We can't do this. I, I think I was, I sat on my couch for one of them and I was like, absolutely not. There's no reason. Like I have a window, I have a pickup window that we put in, in that renovation. I remember thinking like, this is really expensive. I don't know why I did this. And then thank God we put that window in. You know, so we have this window, I have a kitchen. My kitchen was huge because we had renovated it. I'm like, I can safely have people working like 15 feet away from each other. And I was like, there has to be a way to do this. And like, I know people need, I know people are gonna need to be able to come pick up some scones or something. I was like, I know I want to. So we, I called, my like ride or die team of managers who also work for me and you know just said like here's what i think we can do here's how i think we can do it like will you help me and i don't i'm gonna cry if i talk about it too much but they they all showed up you know and um i truly think in terms of mental health that like i don't know how i would have gotten through it if i didn't have that place to go every day i just know that they were coming there. And I would, I would say that it helped a lot of them get through it too. And then we slowly grew that team of people we were able to bring back. And we were like, this is, I think we just for each other became this island of like, we don't know what the fuck is going on out there, but it is okay in here. And we're going to support each other and we're going to get through it. And, you know, and we did that. And um, it's, I think it got my family through it too. I don't think my kids know how bad it was, you know, certainly not obviously Stevie, but Wally is six and he knows there was a bad, the bad flu bug as he calls it. And, you know, he was four when it started, but he still got to come up to the bakery and run around the kitchen and, you know, get a snack from everyone. And like, so it was, it really kept us going. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm really Lord with the gratitude I have to the place and to the people for that, you know. And your baked goods, I think, I know just personally, just like you're saying at a time when we were like Cloroxing our, Mm -hmm. our, you know, groceries to have something like you said that you had made with love and it was this tangible bite and it's accomplishment for you very much for me. It felt like a bit of self care Mm-hmm. and like a bit of love and it was like a really special moment like I have a daughter she's um she's 10 and like we started I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing so I was like let's do afternoon tea every day and like <laughs> your baked goods became a real part of sometimes we would have like a really good cookie or a really good scone um and I really think that your baked goods during the pandemic and just always bring people a lot of joy. Can you speak to your relationship with your client base? Why, mm-hmm. why do you think you are so beloved? Cause listen, there's a lot of pastry shops in Atlanta, you know, yeah. there are, but like, honestly, you're very special. I mean, it's not, it doesn't feel like while you do a lot of French inspired stuff, it's not like just like cookie cutter, no pun yeah. intended. <laughs> um, what do you think, what do you think it is about you and your customers 
that have enabled you to build a very strong business in such a short period of time? Oh gosh. I mean, I, I, I really think that it is probably based in gratitude. I, I am so grateful that I get to do this and I, I do not take my customers for granted ever. And when I see the same people in the shop multiple times a week for a decade, like I am just, I'm, I'm, I'm floored. And, you know, so I, that feeling has never left me. And I, I give that speech to my, my team where I'm like, we will never act like people are lucky to be here. (laughs) Like we're lucky that they're here. We're lucky. And I've been in enough bakeries and cafes where people act like you're, should feel really lucky that they let you come in and buy something from them. And that's yeah, like, if you're at Pierre Hermé in Paris, you're going to feel like they're like, they're like, Oh, you should be very happy that you're here. You know, well, like, I think bakeries are so interesting because every bakery has a different system. Like I, you know, if you go to San Francisco and go into 10 different bakeries, they mm-hmm. all have a different ordering system. Yeah. No, over here, pick up here, no pay here, no do this. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of places act like you're supposed to know. And I'm, I am always like, do not act like, like we treat every customer like they're the first customer we've seen that day. Like we have the energy and time to take care of them, which actually is very French. Like if you, when I lived in Paris, we would, you know, there could be a line out the door at that, my favorite bakery. And everyone waited patiently because when you got to the front, you were the, per- you had all of the person's attention. They were going to talk through what you ordered, they were going to give you the exact baguette that you pointed to with no like eye rolling, you know? So I would listen to these little old ladies go like, you know, pas trop quick, like not too dark. Oh, not that one. This one, this, no, I'll have half of that one, you know? And like, it was just like, I think that's a very French thing where it's like, you're going to wait and then you're going to know that you're going to get the person's full attention. Mm-hmm. So I, I hope that my customers have felt that from me, just that, I'm so glad they're there. Um, and you know, I, I mean, and I, I don't know the customers who have kids know that I, I love kids and I I'll never forget. I was like walking down the street. I was walking home a few years ago. Actually, I might've even lived back in Cabbage town, which would be like seven years ago. And I, a car drove by and I heard a little voice go, it's the cookie lady. <laughs> <laughs> I've made it. That's all I want to be is the cookie lady. To these kids, you know, I have so many kids who are like now 12 who and their parents are like, this is going to be their first job. And I'm like, yes, it is. Like, that's exactly like I want these kids who have been coming there since here since they were babies to be the kid. Like they have their first job here and they, you know, like so it's yeah, I don't know. I just I love what I do so much. And I, I love the the community that has been built up around it. And I, I grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere in Ohio and. I really was jealous of the kids who lived like in town who like played outside each other's yards. Cause I didn't do that. Like I grew up on a this huge farm that was like 20, 30 minutes away from school. And I think that I've always been trying to create this thing where I get to be in a place where all these people are like there all the time. And we get <laughs> like, I think I just, am like, I want to be in a neighborhood. I wanted to move to a city since I was little and be like, I live in a neighborhood. And you know, so <laughs> I hardly leave my neighborhood. I mean, my stores are all within a mile. I have my very sweet little. So people are always like at Peachtree. They're like open in Buckhead. I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
this is what we come up here. I'm like, but this is my little, my little one mile radius of Atlanta that is like truly my home. And, you know, I love getting to kind of, you know, ride my bike around it. But. And when, what, what is, what is next for you guys? I mean, I assume that you're just kind of like, you've righted the ship with COVID. So you might just sit in that for a while. Oh, yeah. I'm just, I don't want to do anything else actually, believe it or not. I'm like so happy with where we are and I want to focus on making it the best it can possibly be for everyone who's involved. So that you can look at the customers and, and our products and go, I look at everything we make, I'll like laser beam go, do we need to tweak that? Is something, you know, like I'm just constantly trying to make things better. And then if with my employees, it goes right back to like, are the benefits good enough? Can we raise wages? Like, what else can we offer? What am I not thinking about? Are there policies we could put in place that would be helpful? Um, what support can I give this team that maybe is not just in the form of wages and benefits? Like, what else do they need? Um, so that is, that's where I am. And then, you know, I have other, like, the working on Southern restaurants for racial justice, trying to get more money out to black owned businesses. I've spent a lot of time on that last year and the Planned Parenthood cookie grabs coming up next week. So oh God. Can you, that's, so can you tell people about that? Because it is, it is one of my favorite things that you guys do. Well, it's uh, the boxes go on sale March 21st at noon and they sold out last year in four hours. The previous record was four days. So I was like, all right, maybe they'll sell in two days. And then I got a text from Tony, who I work with at Planned Parenthood, that was like, they're sold out. And I was like, what? I mean, I couldn't even believe it. So I would uh, urge everyone to <laughs> order as as possible, but they're going to be- No, seriously, do, because I I, I I missed it last time. <laughs> no, 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 because I mean, it is it is so popular and there's, it's so worth it. And can you tell people what comes in the box? Oh, sure. So there's going to be uh, 19 cookies this year um, from, you know, such, uh, I mean, the best, the best bakers in town, like um, Emma at Evergreen, um, Alejandra at Hell Yeah Gluten Free, uh, Betsy at Asono, like it's, you know, I mean, Jenny's doing a collaboration actually with Hell Yeah Gluten Free. I mean, you can't get this collection of cookies anywhere else. Like we don't do, this doesn't exist, right? So you get 19 cookies. It's uh, $60, which gets goes direct to Planned Parenthood. Um, it's through their you know website. You can get a, a it's some of it's tax deductible, I guess, if that's important. You know, so it is uh, it's so much fun because I get to see all these incredible people like Annie Quatrano will roll up in her van and drop off <laughs> cookies, you know, and mystery just, mobile. It yeah. always reminds me of <laughs> Scooby-Doo. <laughs> um, but so, um yeah you know, but you can order it through your website or yeah, plan plan parenthood so it'll go and we'll put the link on our website like the minute it's live and we'll share it with all the bakers um but you yeah get on order and then you can pick up from either little's heart and grand park star provisions um from sun in my belly and then we have a pickup location in john's creek um hen mother cookhouse is going to be a pickup location so we have one that's a little farther north so yeah, we do 500 of them. It's a really fun, I think it's a like, it's a heavy lift for everybody involved, but I think it's nice for the bakers because it's very like, just bring us 500 cookies and then we package them all and you get this box that has them all in it. And it's it's a super fun, like it's something we look forward to every year. And at this point, 
we've raised $145,000 for Planned Parenthood Southeast. Wow. And you've been doing this since 2016? Is that when you started? Yeah. 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 Because it was the grab them by the cookie yeah. at the yep. time. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and can you talk about what you, the other organization that you mentioned about that helps black restaurateurs in Atlanta? Is it just Atlanta or is it national? So Southern Restaurants for Racial Justice um, start is an organization that I started with Lisa Donovan in Nashville, um, Cheryl Day in Savannah and Annie Quatrano in Atlanta. Um, and we did a fundraiser in June of 2020 and um, after George Floyd was murdered. And we raised $100,000 and gave it to Color of Change. We raised it with businesses across the South, really the Southeast. And then Annie came on and kind of we it helped us refocus. Like we knew we had some momentum and we could raise some money, but did we want to give it to another like organization like Color of Change, which there are amazing organizations doing amazing work, but who are who at that moment were getting a lot of funding coming in, right? Um, or do we want to try to give this to Black-owned businesses who are struggling during the pandemic like us? And statistically, we're having a harder time getting things like PPP loans and having facing greater barriers to access to that money, which, like I said, saved my business. So, and I know I, Cheryl and Annie would say the same thing. So we decided to start giving it out to black owned restaurants and we created an application process. It was just going to be in the South. We partnered with the Lee initiative out of Louisville, um, Ed Lee's organization that does incredible work, partnered with them all ready to go. We were going to be able to give out like four or five grants. And then we got a a call that Heinz wanted to donate a million dollars. Wow. We gave out 1.14, I think million dollars last year to 76 black owned restaurants across the country. Wow. In like 14 to $25,000. So including that's amazing. I know it's the like best thing I've ever done. Um, we gave 25 grand to Jones barbecue, um, in Arkansas went after it burned down and that helped them rebuild and they're back open. Um, so we just, I mean, it, it just was, it's yeah, I'm so proud of that work. And now we are actually just got off a call with, with the founders because we're hoping to get some more money. Um, and, you know, from, <laughs> from anyone from Heinz or from anyone who wants to give it to us. And the, what we really like to do now is focus on newer black owned businesses that have, you know, maybe started in, in right before the pandemic or during the pandemic and creating kind of a mentorship piece to it too, where, cause I know, I think about what I needed 12 years ago. Like I didn't, I signed a commercial lease without, I didn't even have a broker. I like called a number and was like, is this for what? How much is it? Okay. (laughs) That's not how you do that. You like get a person who reads it and says, don't sign that. Don't do this. You know? So I got very lucky. And obviously my, my dad has been a huge help in everything I've done, but um, I got, I got very lucky, but I think about the help I needed and like, how does QuickBooks work? Like, how does, how do you get insurance? How do you get property insurance? How do you set your team up with health insurance? That's a, I get that question a lot now because I've, been very vocal about it. I get emails from people all over saying like, how did you do this? Like, how did you even, are there insurance agents? And then I'm like, yeah, here's mine. Maybe she can talk to you if you're in Georgia or you can look for one in your state, you know? So um, we're trying to create a mentorship piece plus 
a grant where new businesses would hopefully have some like impactful funding plus, you know, someone to talk to with questions like that, which is stuff I know that, that I could have used, you know, way back when. Hopefully people want to help, help volunteer, donate, where can they go to do that? So for Planned Parenthood, I would say, obviously go to Planned Parenthood Southeast, give them some money. They're going to need it. Um, And then with Southern Restaurants for Racial Justice, we also have a donate now button on our website. Um, And truly right now we just need to raise some funds and then we will, you know, I love working with the Lee initiative because 95% of any money raised goes right back out into the the community. So um, they can donate and it'll go into those um, grants for black owned restaurants, restaurant tours. Um, and I just, I did want to talk just a little bit more just about, you know, the other relationships in your life, like Paul, mm-hmm. um, I've seen you mention in a lot of places that he's like your number one fan. Like when Bourdain was here, he's like, go try her croissant. <laughs> it's amazing. That croissant. <laughs> Say that again. He bought him that croissant. Like Bourdain <laughs> was not going to eat anything. He came in, I think he might've been a little hungover. He's like, just give me an espresso. He was so sweet. I always tell everyone he was so kind. His whole, his whole crew was so kind. I remember looking up and suddenly there were like six, six foot tall men in the bakery. And we're all like, what? <laughs> and I like, Pam, and one of them is Anthony Bourdain. And I like almost fainted, but, um, but Paul was in the bakery at that moment. And so was Christian. Lauterbach and she was like oh I'll introduce you Paul like so she introduced him to, to Anthony and he was like you have to eat this croissant and he's like I, I'm okay you know I'm just having coffee and he's like I'm gonna buy you a croissant <laughs> and put it in front of him and the rest of the story you know you know he really liked it which I, I damn I needed to hear that at that moment you know so um yeah but, I, mean, I mean he is your biggest fan but I mean also you guys you you are in the same industry which yeah. is not an easy industry. Is that a plus or a minus for your relationship? Um, I think that in it's both. I mean, I think that we have to remind ourselves to leave work at work, which is really hard. I mean, we haven't figured that out because we both, you know, care so deeply about what we do. We care so deeply about our teams. So it's like a whole day or night can be derailed very easily by one phone call, text, something, oh God, what's happening? And in COVID, it was like, I just, you know, I feel like I was glued to my phone because it was somebody was either had COVID or their or their, a family member had COVID or something. There was just so much like disaster feeling like it was happening all the time. Um, it was hard. We're much better at it now being like, you know, we eat dinner together every night with our kiddos and like I, I cook us dinner pretty much every night. And we're much better being like, okay, we're here now, you know, cause we don't get a family time with our schedules, but in terms of it being a plus, like I just, I trust, um, I just trust Paul's palate. <laughs> I trust his <laughs> palate uh, maybe more than anyone's and he'll be always be honest with me. And I, I trust his instincts and his opinions. I'm like, we just make a really good team. I feel like we can, you know, we speak the same language and we, the same things matter to us in our businesses, truly. Um, so it's easy to kind of comb through the bullshit and just talk about what we need. Like, I am I know I can go to him and be like, I have this issue I'm dealing with. And like, he's my... Um, did food bring you guys together? Yeah, it did. I mean, he, I met him at the, at 
the farmer's market table. I mean, it's such a funny thing because it was him and Christiane actually. Again, <laughs> Christiane. <laughs> yeah, the fairy godmother. Um, she and Paul, like 12 years ago, I think I was at, you know, the farmer's market in Grant Park 11 or 12 years ago because I started out before I opened the brick and mortar. And Paul came up to me and was, and I think Christiane might've been there and they were like, we're the people who keep tell- talking you up to everyone. And I found out that Paul and Christiane were going around and saying, you have to try this bakery, you have to try this table at the market. Cause I didn't know like anyone, I was just out here making my stuff. And Paul's mom worked in a bakery. He worked in a bakery washing dishes when he was like 12 or 13. <laughs> so <laughs> he like tasted our food and my food at that point. I and mean, I was the only person baking it. And was like, this is really good. And then Christiana and Paul were friends. And he's like, have you tasted this? And she's like, you know, like suddenly this French lady likes my food. Oh, my God. I was like, I didn't even know. Not just any French lady, a very discerning French lady, Christiana, if you're listening. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I mean, I didn't know who she was at that point. Then I looked her up and was like, oh, boy, this is a big deal, you know. But um, they, you know, were so supportive. So then when I opened the bakery, Paul was there all the time. He used to tease him. He was like, he was one of our very best regulars. His very great friend, Aaron Drobeck was running the bar at Octane. So, um, he was there all the time and, uh, and we just got to be really good friends. So yeah. Um, and then, then more than friends. And now we're married. (laughs) And what role does food play in your family with the kids? Oh my God. God. We just, I mean, it's a tough spot to be in right now with a six-year-old and a two-year-old because I am like, they don't know how good they have it. Like I, I am a good, <laughs> and I will like put something in front of them while he's like, I don't want to eat that. And I'm like, you, are you, you know, like they, he's, they're both in this very, like, give me buttered noodles stage. Although Wally does love salad, which I'm like, every time he downs a salad, I'm like, okay, not a total failure in terms of getting vegetables into my children. But um, I think that, you know, they, they come to the bakery and visit me every Saturday. And while it just occurred to Wally that I own the bakery, like literally. <laughs> Are you the boss of the bakery? And I was like, how do you think you've been coming in here and like running behind the counter your whole life? And like Lee's like, here's your ham and cheese croissant, Wally. And Maddie's like, I made you a baby Chino. Like they make them a little thing. I'm like, that's not like, this is very special treatment. You know, so um, I think that the like he loves the bakery. Stevie's a little, you know, she just kind of lumbers around and falls over things. But um, he loves the bakery. He loves the people in it. I mean, those people have some of them have known me since I was pregnant with him, since I showed up at Krog in labor and tried to finish making pies on. What? And- <laughs> As I what? said, resilient. <laughs> that is one of my stories, but. Um, so they've known him and that's a special thing when someone's known your kid their whole life. He has such a talk about community. He has so many adults that would look out for him and do look out for him. So, um, and Stevie too. So like food to them, I think is, is community because they've, whether they know it or not, that's what it's created around them. Um, and then, you know, that we eat dinner together every night and every night, I hope that they're going to eat the, you know, delicious vegetables that I made, but someday. <laughs> My parents will tell you that I only ate McDonald's and pizza as a kid and didn't eat fish till I was 20. So there's hope. Okay. All right. Yes. That's, yes. That's, 
Somebody tells me they're like, I wouldn't eat anything but fish sticks until I was whatever, and I and ketchup, and I'm like, okay, it'll be all right, you know. So. And just speaking of food, just one silly question I always ask everyone is, you know, if you had to choose one meal to eat for the rest of your life, it's Groundhog Day. You're on a desert island. It can be a smorgasbord, anything you okay. want. What is it? Oh God, that's. I mean. So like, can I, can I, do I have a whole day of eating? Can yeah, I like, yeah, you can, it's, yeah, yeah. Because, it just resets in the morning. Okay. Well, I have a croissant every, I, this is basically my life except for dinner, right? I have a croissant every morning. If I, and I would have big softy somewhere in the middle of the day, I would have vanilla ice cream, vanilla soft serve with uh peanut crunch <laughs> uh, <laughs> for sure. And then honestly, there would have to be some, some noodle or it would, you know, like whether it's pasta or like, uh, you know, just, I made like really delicious ramen last night with like mm. a ginger sauce. Like I just, I love noodles so much. So there would be some noodles. I do this with my friends all the time. I'm like, you get three cuisines. That you eat. Like, Which ones are they? You know? <laughs> You're like, what? I'm like, think about it. I know. I do this too. And it changes all the time. Well, me too. I mean, I'll mm-hmm. be like, you know, snack box is like my favorite restaurant in Atlanta. In Atlanta. Oh, so good. Like, I can food. They're like, Her what? noodles, those noodles that she makes, that little flat rice noodle, like with like the ground peanuts on it. It's not a pad thai, but it's something else with like ground pork. Oh my God, it's so good. It's just like, I, we just went there. I, I pick up food there. I usually pick it up and bring it home, like, which is literally a 30 minute drive from my house. Where's so it? Snack box, but um, we get the um, mam cow, like the, you know, to, like the crunchy rice salad with tofu. Like, mm. I'm just, I just, I love flavor. You know, it's like I, w- I would have, I could honestly just eat that. We'll just have snack box for my desert island lunch. How about that? Sounds okay. great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds yeah. good. Um, and is there anything else coming up that you want to promote aside from the cookie grab? Um, or to let everyone know where you are again, if they don't. Yeah, that's well. So we are actually, I've okay. We're at the freedom farmer's market this year. That's exciting. That's right. Exciting. So on Saturdays, we are literally in five places. We're at Summerhill, Crag, Grant Park, uh, (laughs) Peachtree Road, and Freedom, which is bonkers, but um, really an accomplishment. I'm so proud of my team. So Freedom has been, you know, we've been wanting to be back there for a long time. We used to do that on a rotating basis and then stopped. And it feels so good to be back at that market with so many great farmers. It's a great Um, market. Oh, I love it. And then we're at Peachtree. We're, you know, we love Peachtree. We've been there for like 10 years now. We're at Grand Park Farmer's Market on Sunday. Um, and then we're open seven days a week the rest of the time at all the cafes. So we're not, we're not hard to find. <laughs> some pastry, you know. We're open somewhere from like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day. That's a lot for you to do. It's a lot. And then Big Sox is open till nine. So, you know, every day. So we're around. Well, Sarah, I really appreciate your time. Um, I, I love everything that you make. <laughs> I'm very proud of it. That means a lot. Well, thank you again. Awesome. Thank right. you. Bye-bye. Have a good one. You too. Well, that's this week's episode. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Sarah for joining me. If you want to keep up with me, you can find me as Jennifer Zeman or The Food That Binds on Instagram and Twitter. Next week, I'll be joined by Giovanni De Palma of Antico Pizza. Again, we'll be back next Sunday. And this is Jennifer Zeman with The Food That Binds. <laughs>